0: What's up, party people? Welcome to the Damn Good Day Show. This is Ian Lenhart coming at you from the studio in progress to let you know that it is a damn, absolutely fantastic, phenomenal day to have a damn good day. And the message of the day is around financial literacy understanding the basics of finance it's a topic that sometimes people don't talk a lot about it's somewhat uncomfortable to even mention it and that's why a lot of people haven't taken the steps to learn basic financial literacy but there's amazing resources today that you, yes, you listening to this, can understand the basics. And once you understand the basics, you'll know more than like 95% of the world. So I'm really excited to be speaking to some of these financial experts. You know, we've we recently had the episode with Shang. She was amazing from Save Your Sense. And today we're gonna to be featuring Tori Dunlap and she's phenomenal. But it's important that people learn the basics of index funds talking about crypto talking about real estate talking about different methods of earning and building wealth because as you age it becomes harder and harder to earn the beautiful thing of compound interest which warren buffett so it says that's the greatest thing on earth so we've been focusing on that and i want the message of the day to be own your finances create the excel spreadsheet write down all your expenses know where your money's going you will sleep better at night knowing that you are on top of your stuff looking at your bank account should become a normal thing sometimes it feels like looking at your report card i still have ptsd from high school and college just looking at my report card you know you push it off you're like oh man i don't i don't want to see what's on the other side of that but really it's like yo you should be accountable for it people treat their bank account in their expenses like the report card. Do you get what I'm saying? Own it, conquer it, you'll sleep better at night. And that's what this podcast is aimed to do. Really excited to be offering this awesome opportunity to have Tori Dunlap on the show. Tori's amazing, let's talk about her. First off, she has one of the top financial podcasts on the market right now called The Financial Feminist. Uh, She's really, really excited and passionate about fighting the patriarchy by making you rich. She advocates hugely about how women need to you know, educate themselves more on financial literacy and she does that through her platform. She is an amazing speaker. She's a great person. She's helping so many people. She's created an online community of over 2 million people, 1.6 million on TikTok, but more than that, she's just real. She's passionate. She's one of these people that's just out here putting her heart on the line and in the process fighting a cause that she cares so much about very important cause and at the same. Time educating people about the basics of financial literacy, which I think we need more of. Everyone needs to know this stuff. If everyone knows this stuff, you'll sleep better at night. So I'm really excited to dive into this podcast. It's an awesome one. And on this episode, we discuss Tori's motivations behind why there needs to be more female-related financial education resources, building an online community of over 2 million people. How do you do that? We're gonna find out. Setting the rules and guidelines within community so they can grow effectively and turning your passion into a business. Isn't that the dream? Tori's done a great job at that. She's so authentic and real. And ultimately, that's my goal for you, for me, for all of us to work in a field and a business that we so passionately, wholeheartedly believe in. So I'm super excited for you guys to jump onto this show. As always, you can watch this episode live on YouTube. Now, without further ado, episode 123 with Tori Dunlap. Let's jump into it. And we're live. Tori is on the pod. She's here. You're in the middle of a big move and you're going nomad. Exciting times.
1: It's very exciting. I hope Europe lets me in. That's the big thing. So you're going <laughs> like Europe. Checking. I am. Yeah, I'm going with my best friends. Um, my best friend and I have this thing we call friend moon. And we go on a honeymoon type trip as platonic best friends. And uh, yeah, we're going to be spending two months, one month in uh, rural... France, outside Dijon, and then another month in Tuscany. And I am there to write my book. So, uh, yeah, the business is going to run without me, and I am there to uh, to write a book for Harper Collins.
0: That's amazing. Hell yeah! Shout out Harper Collins. He's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, th- it's cool that you're you've got to a point in your life in business where you get to experience the things that everyone always talks about and preaches about. Like, you know, I was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to travel to Europe and work remote. And now you're out here doing it. And I know it probably wasn't easy but I have something no, I've, I've always not. admired about you is your bubbliness and chillness and realness, just like in the way you talk and the way you move. And at, I can tell why you're successful based on just how real of a human you are.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, it's um, it's really crazy because we blew up in COVID. And so, I mean, COVID's far from over, but it's it, I'm starting to get a little taste of what my life might, might be like once we're, once we're more back to normal. And again, hopefully- I'm recording this and I, I'm not living to regret it. Hopefully we do make it to Europe and that they don't close their borders, but yeah, it's, it's fun to kind of, uh, figure out now what my life and what my business looks like. Um, because yeah, I blew up in a 650 square foot apartment that I didn't leave for six months. So
0: That's the I mean, the adversity. You took it, you spun it up and now you're, you turned it into oh, something I mean, good.
1: Let's be clear. Adversity in quotes was like me being lonely. It was not anything serious. I had, plenty of other people who I knew had way harder times during COVID. But um, yeah, I think it's just really interesting to see what the world and what all of us are going to look like when we, when we get out of, get out of this weird in-between time.
0: So true. I kind of look down and because I'm like legitimately sick because even though I got the Pfizer vaccine, no no one that listens to Pause knows this because I don't really talk about COVID because it's just so like yeah everyone yeah it's so political and weird but I got COVID even with the vaccine and I got super sick and like oh
1: no fifteen sorry, out of twenty of that. the
0: people that uh, I was around or friends around all got it just this past two weeks. And wow. it, it's like, it knocks me, it knocks me out. So yeah, interesting times indeed. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but it's definitely probably not going to be a smooth sail.
1: No, definitely not. But um, I'm glad to hear you got the vaccine. I imagine it would have been even worse if you didn't have it, but I'm really sorry to hear you got sick. That's not, I mean, I'm not, as I'm as not fun. sorry
0: about that. I'm young, I'm healthy and all that stuff. Like life, life is good. Right. I'm blessed. Just like you said, adversity. Right. But uh, the interesting thing about what you've done is you have built this brand and you've been able to educate people on finance and a topic that is super ugly, gross, and a lot of people don't understand it. So they pay people a lot of money to to teach them and you've made it simple. Tell us about the journey there. Like where were you five, six years ago before you even decided to try to turn this into a career?
1: Yeah. So I'll go back even further. I was lucky enough when I was growing up to have a financial education for my parents. I was lucky enough to have parents who were teaching me don't overspend on credit cards. Here's how to save. Here's how to budget. And I grew up thinking that that was the norm. I thought, okay, everybody knows that. Everybody knows how to negotiate their salary and start investing. And of course I realized very quickly that that wasn't the case and that I was the friend, all of my female friends were coming to for advice and guidance. And the more conversations I started to have, the more I realized that, you know, this financial education was a privilege, the more of course, you know, it came with the responsibility with that privilege came a responsibility. And I graduated college, I had a degree in theater and a degree in organizational communication um, in May of 2016, and Trump got elected not soon after that, of course, as we all know. So I was coming into adulthood and coming into womanhood in a very different America than I expected, and I think than a lot of us expected. And so I, through these conversations and through a lot of my research on wealth inequality, on financial inequality... I realized that a financial education for any marginalized group, but especially for women is our best form of protest against this unjust inequitable society that we live in. And that if we can get more money into more women's hands the entire world can start to change. So I started the blog that later became her first 100K on the side of my nine to five in marketing in December of 2016. And her first 100K was kind of my personal journey my own financial origin story of can I save slash invest $100,000 at age 25? And not only was I able to do that, but I grew my business to the point where I could quit my job. I literally hit my 100K, was on Good Morning America, and then quit my job three weeks later to run HFK full time. And so it's what I believe I was put on this earth to do. We have a community now of 2 million financial feminists who are learning about money, who are paying off debt and saving and investing and starting businesses and getting new jobs and negotiating salaries. We have a number one business podcast called Financial Feminists. And uh, I have a team of 10 now. It's just absolutely crazy to think about where we were um, or where, you know, I, I was a couple of years ago, even if you would have told me back in college, which was, yeah, like five years ago, that I would be a financial educator, I would have laughed in your face. That was not part of the plan. Um, but yeah, it's been the craziest ride. And it's something that I am just so, so grateful for and so passionate about
0: that's so cool because so many people feel they they put a fake bottleneck in their face saying i can't be this because of a college degree or the people you were a theater major you saw a niche that people were asking you for as people were naturally coming up and asking you questions and you're answering so the question is is if you're listening like who is naturally coming up to you today and asking you what are you good at and you saw an opportunity you created this group and obviously it's probably not that easy but it's developed that crazy which is so amazing and a testament to your ability to just make shit happen and put stuff together. So tell me, 2 million people, that's insane.
1: Yeah. March of 2020, we had 30,000 followers. It is August of 2021 and we have 2 million. So we went from 30,000 to 2 million in under a year and a half, which is crazy to think about. Um and Yeah, for me, it was a testament that people need this. People need this financial advice. People need a, especially women need a safe, non-judgmental community to talk about money and to see money as not just your own personal finances, but like, how can we change these larger systems, right? Because money impacts every part of our lives. And for too long, financial experts, one in particular, was saying the reason you're not rich is because you don't work hard enough right? Or the reason you're not rich is because you buy too many lattes, right? And that's not it. <laughs> it's not latte. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Let me try that again. I'm going to take a sip of water. I came you're out good. of nowhere. Sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's not them lattes. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's where we're leaving off on.
1: We'll start over. We can edit that out. <clears throat>
0: I think it's authentic and real and legit. We're going to oh, I mean, we flying. can keep
1: it. I'm like, it's choking on my own spit. Um, no, but the, the reason we're not rich is not because we buy too many lattes. The reason we're not rich is because we have a $1 trillion student debt crisis. And wages have stagnated and cities have gotten more expensive and women are going to make the less than men and black women are going to make less than, than white women. And if you have a disability or if you are LGBTQ, or if you are a person of color, if you're a woman, you're going to have to manage your money differently. And so I think part of the success of HFK was, uh, you know, creating the safe, that safe space that was non-judgmental and was welcoming, but also was like, Hey, you've got, you've got, a lot of control over your personal decisions. You have all of the control over your personal decisions, but there is so much that's out of your control. So how do we talk not just about personal finance and individual choices, but how do we talk about changing these general systems in order to support everybody within them? So I think that that's what really struck a nerve was the safe non-judgmental community plus the acknowledgement of systemic oppression and that these things go hand in hand, that it's not just at the individual level, it's how do we change these larger systems in order to progress towards equality.
0: Talk to me about g- building the actual group itself. Like what were some of the challenges in terms of making sure the narratives are right inside of the group? You get the right people producing content. You're just controlling, you know, this this board where essentially is the essential the lead funnel, but obviously to you it's way more than just a lead funnel. It's your people, it's your mission and all that. Yeah. But essentially it's controlling the narrative, controlling the group. You are controlling a large group of of people and and helping them progress forward. What have been some of the challenges in, in doing that and scaling it up with teams and, and putting places, uh, putting pieces in place?
1: Yeah. Um, the biggest piece of advice I give to anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur, what I see, cause I do, I do coaching with entrepreneurs. I do counseling with them. And so many people, when they first get started, they're like, okay, I want to get as many sales as possible. So I am just going to be everything to everybody. Right. And When you are everything to everybody, you're nothing to nobody, right? When you are trying to be the solution to everybody's problem, when somebody goes to learn more about you or learn more about your work, there's going to be that moment of like, okay, but like, who is this person? Is this person for me? I don't know what this person does and I don't know how they're useful to me. So in the early days, like my first big media feature, I was on MarketWatch and I was talking about this mission of financial feminism, of, you know, not just building wealth for your own sake, but how can we use that as a form of protest to raise other women and other marginalized groups up? And the interesting thing happened is that Uh, you know, uh, the majority of MarketWatch readers are uh, white men in their probably 50s, 60s, or 70s, who didn't love that I was saying things like cisgendered or acknowledging privilege. And I had quite a few comments. I would say 90 to 95% of comments were something disparaging like that. Like, why does she have to make this a women's issue? Why can't she just talk about personal finance? And that for me was a turning point. Is I could have either taken those comments and been like, okay, well, Sounds like I need to do something differently. But instead, what I did is I realized, you know what, these men are not my target market. These men are not my target market. They're not who I want to talk to. And if they don't get it, that's okay. If they don't get it, that's okay. And if I lose their potential business, that is okay. Because I will gain women. I will gain, you know, very specific groups of women who have become complete and total brand evangelists for what we do at Her First Center K. And so that was something that I did that was very strategic is I got a little controversial. I was willing to very, very distinctly say who I was talking to, what I wanted to talk about. And if you didn't agree with me, this wasn't the community for you. This wasn't the place for you. There was other communities for you out there. So you and, set you, know, you I, set
0: the infrastructure. You 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 put right. the rules in place, and you put your foot down and said, this "Well, is and not we just rules,
1: but like this is this is the mission of the company. Is like we are liberal, we are unabashedly feminist. If you are a uh, you know someone of another gender identity, you are welcome. Right, you're welcome to come. But this is largely for women, and this is largely for women who want to again build their wealth as a form of protest. And so." Yeah, I lost quite a few people with that, you know, potentially controversial messaging, but I gained people who were so committed, you know, tattoo HFK on their forehead. And then I think, in addition, it's really important that if you, when you uh, close in on that mission, you have to decide what behavior you will or will not tolerate, right? And so for me, if I am saying we are creating a non judgmental community, if someone is in there creating, you know, stirring shit up. If they have something to say that's judgmental, that's shaming, they don't get a second chance. They're removed from the community. And again, that I potentially lost a customer, right? But I've created a space where the people who really are my people can thrive. And if I have publicly committed to something, right, people need to see me back that up. I think the word community gets thrown around so much. It's this like marketing buzzword, right? Like Facebook loves putting the word community in every ad they've created. And I'm like, yeah, but but like Facebook, are you keeping people on your platform safe? I think you're kind of sort of trying, but are you really? There's been plenty of times I have not felt safe on Facebook, plenty of times. And plenty of times I could talk to any female friend of mine and they would say the exact same thing. So I think if you're going to build a community and call it a community... You need to figure out what that community stands for, what is uh, acceptable in the community and what is unacceptable, and then actually enforce those rules. And again, it sounds like, like I'm like some sort of dictator. And I don't mean that at all. It's actually a really beautiful thing of knowing that if you're coming into my house, this is going to be a safe space, right? right? And I'm here to support you. And I am here to make sure that you can ask those quote unquote stupid, but really not stupid questions without getting shame or judged for it.
0: Right. I mean, you're playing mama bear, you're controlling the pot. You're making sure that everyone, everyone gets what they came for. You know what I'm saying? You have to have rules in place. And this is exactly the question I asked. And your answer was absolutely fantastic and phenomenal. It basically says, look, like these are the, are how this is going to go. And if you aren't happy with it, then leave.
1: Yeah. And it's like, wish you the best. Like peace out, but yeah, don't let the door hit you on your way out.
0: It's cool I though, think that I- you, that you've partnered up this whole, like much bigger mission of helping women, but at the same time, teaching basic financial advice, which a lot of stuff you can learn online, but a lot of people aren't motivated, but you've been able to attach this deeper motivation to get people to hold themselves accountable. And I think that's just so honorable.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And for me, it's even larger than that, which is, um, yes, it's good marketing. I mean, I would be lying if I, if I said that, of course that isn't something that's on my mind, but for me, it's more the realization that why hasn't all of this financial content connected with people? Cause yeah, you and I could Google something like how to open a 401k or, you know, how to pick a index fund, right. And get plenty of good information, plenty of bad information, but plenty of good information. Why hasn't that connected with people? And specifically, why is that not connected with women? And through, again, conversations with friends, what I was seeing just in the kind of landscape of personal finance and largely just like women in general, the women's communities, is that very few women were seeing, again, that financial education piece as a form of like, are gaining the life that they wanted being able to leave toxic situations, being able to donate to causes they believe in, being able to start businesses or have kids or not have kids or get married or not get married, right? That, that is the power of a personal finance education and a financial foundation is those choices that open up to you. And in addition, pretty much all of the content out there, like I, I'm literally, I was writing this in my book, I'm writing a chapter in my book about spending the other day. And when you Google like how to build wealth, still in 2021, the conversation for women is like, oh, coupon clip. And here are like 20 meals you can make for under $20 and like stop buying Louboutins and purses. And you know what the conversation is for men? Index funds, real estate, cryptocurrency, right? It's not like stop buying, stop spending all your money on frivolous things because you can't control yourself. It's still in 2021, this like very misogynistic messaging. And so that's what I realized I, you know, that's, that's what I realized I could bring to the table was really good advice. That was, you know, not necessarily anything that somebody hasn't said any yeah, said before, you know, I'm not, I'm not inventing personal finance education, right? This has been around for a really long time, Right, but it's, it's in how it's delivered. And with this larger understanding that again, it's not just about you. It's about, you getting your financial shit together is literally an act of, you know, it's kind of like a middle finger to the patriarchy, right? So I think that for me, I was really strategic both in the marketing uh, marketing standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, but also just because that's what felt good and that's what I wanted. And that's what I know. Uh, from these conversations with women, that's what I knew everybody else was looking for too.
0: Yeah, and you mastered it. You were able to to fit into that sweet spot. It's so interesting, like you mentioned, that the knowledge is out there. You can go read Tony Robbins' Master the Money Game. You can read J. L. <laughs> Collins. You know, a uh, uh, a book to uh, what's that? A guide to wealth mm-hmm. or something like that. Amazing. Rich Dad book. Poor
1: Dad. Dave like, Ramsey. I mean, yeah, Jim Cramer. Right. But what do all of these people have in common. Well, first of all, they're men. Second of all, a good chunk of them have. I mean, I literally say like, when people ask me like, what are the next five years for your business? Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And I literally tell them I want to be Tony Robbins, but less icky. I love that. Because (laughs) it's like, there's, there's a lot of good advice, but it's like, do you actually like these people? (laughs) Like, do you actually like share the same values with these people? Because I hear this a lot from, because I'm very publicly outspoken against Dave Ramsey and and not only a lot of his advice, but plenty of his business practices are borderline illegal and not great. And people are like, yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem like, like the great guy, the greatest guy or like the greatest boss, but like his advice really helped me. Yes, totally. His advice can be super helpful, but I want you to get really good advice from people who don't make you feel like shit or people who operate in a society that's trying, they're actively trying to do good for every person of any group. Mm
0: -hmm. So I
1: feel like that's the other thing too, is it's like, if you are the person who's like, oh yeah, I don't like, I I don't think I really connect with this person, but they give good advice. So I'll just continue listening to them. Yeah. It's they're not the only options anymore. Right. It is interesting that you
0: say that like all of the largest because like, it's predominantly a male-dominated industry of people teaching oh, people, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. that alone probably, obviously, based on what you're telling me, is a big factor of why people don't dive into it. But when someone sees someone that offers a safe, a safe space, it becomes cool and becomes doable. I mean, getting a financial yeah. education and, and getting your shit together financially is one of the most empowering things you can do. Being able to make decisions on your own, not relying on people, being able to being up by yourself. Like that is essentially how you can achieve happiness and not needing or relying on anything else but yourself.
1: The amount of times, you know, somebody will come to me and be like, I feel like we could be friends. Like, and I've never met them, right? Which is a larger conversation about parasocial relationships. But um, I think like, it's the perfect example of like, I remember at a panel two years ago, I was, I was the youngest person on the panel by at least 10 years and everybody else, like they became my friends. They were super qualified. They were financial advisors. They were venture capitalists. They were there in blazers and pencil skirts and heels. And Tori Dunlap rolled up and Adidas and a leather jacket and jeans because that's just who I am. And that's for me, like, that's how I want to approach these communities is it doesn't have to be stuffy, it doesn't have to be traditional, it doesn't even have to be capital P professional, right? It's like I want you to hear about money like you were talking to your best friend over a drink, right? Or or talking to your sister, like that's that's the vibe I want um, because this super intimidating topic becomes way less intimidating when we approach it with that, that sort of mindset or that sort of angle.
0: So true. Take off the suit and just realize like, yo, let's just talk like hey girl. Hey, let's get this thing together. What you're doing right now, you making them dollars. Let's just allocate them efficiently. And over time, it's going to, it's going to capitalize and grow. It's an exciting message.
1: Maybe I've said that quote for quote, Hey girl. Hey, but Hey girl. hey. Yeah.
0: I I love seeing uh, just change and people that are are actively doing that because obviously are there certain, I mean, obviously the the topic of like you saying, like not having enough resources, not having enough teachers in this world, but are there any other things that just really kind of piss you off to the point that if you're tired on a late night and you're like exhausted, you've done six interviews, still this topic, you're just like fired up. You're like, you just, concocts deep in your soul. What are some of those things that, that just ignite you?
1: Do you have three hours? Like, (laughs) let's go for three hours. Um, okay. First is that, um, I've already given a couple examples of this society does not like women who have money at all. Like still 2021 society does not like women who have money. And there is this unique double standard that like every hoop we jump through as women, when it comes to personal finance education, there's another hoop to jump through. So I'll give you, I'll give you like the, the example of this. So let's say that you're like okay I feel like I've made a lot of decisions that I regret around my money and I'm like ready to get started. What happens traditionally is that you are shamed and judged for those choices, right? And told, okay, well, like you've made all these mistakes in the, in the past and this is why you're not good with money. So like sucks to be you, right? Let's say you overcome that shame, which is hard enough. Let's say you overcome that shame and judgment and now you're starting to build wealth. Then you're actively told as a woman as a woman, well, actually you shouldn't want money because money's evil, money's bad. And you shouldn't be talking about money because it's taboo and it's impolite and it's gauche. And those are two narratives that are perpetuated by the patriarchy in order to keep women playing small, right? They profit off of our silence. They profit off of our inaction by telling us don't want money because that's bad or that's tacky, or that's greedy. Don't talk about money because that's taboo, but you better believe that men are talking about the stock market, right? Or talking about the bonus they pulled in, or, you know, they're talking about just having money in general, right? It's not a taboo conversation in the way that it is for women. And again, like I mentioned before, the way we educate men and women is very different when it comes to money. It's spending or budgeting for women. It's wealth building for men. And then let's say you overcome that. Let's say you get through the shame and judgment. You're like, no, I want to talk about money. I I don't believe that, you know, having money and wanting money is bad. Let's say now you have money. You have a six-figure salary, a seven-figure business. You are, you're killing it. Then we shame or judge women for making money in that way. And for talking about their businesses or the wealth they, they have built. You can go to any TikTok where I've ever talked about my own personal finance journey and see this in the comments. Well, I think a lot of that has to
0: do with people are just like when some, most people in society, when you see someone who's successful, they try to do the an effect and try to pull them down because they're insecure about themselves. They're not celebrating. Oh, it's
1: totally, you're totally right. But I will also argue it's the internalized misogyny where I will get, unfortunately from a lot of women, like, Hey, I really like you and your content, but like you're bragging. Like, why are you bragging about you and your accomplishments? And it's weirdly a Venn diagram of people who say that to me and people who like are Elon Musk worshipers, right. Or people who are just like, I don't know, Jeff Bezos can do something. They're like, oh my God, what an innovative genius. Right. And it's this double standard between how we view success, money, business for again, women compared to men.
0: So you've even seen some people be kind of hypocritical inside of the community.
1: And it's very, it's, we see this all the time. I see this all the time, not just in my own life, but um, let's look at like Simone Biles, right? Who, who wore, um, you know, a sequin in the shape of a goat on her leotard because she is, she is literally the greatest of all time. And people are like, well, she needs to be humble. She needs to be more humble. Like, I don't, I don't like her because she's not humble, which is not only internalized misogyny, that's internalized racism. Same thing with Serena Williams, right? Why, why does she talk about her success all the time? We don't say the same thing for Roger Federer. We don't say the same thing for you know the male equivalent, right? It's it's very much that so. We it's are almost uncomfortable. like
0: the it's almost like the internal narrative of women in this sense holding themselves down by maintaining this narrative,
1: right? That's what I'm saying. Is like society patriarchy has told you play small, don't just be grateful for your opportunities, don't talk about money, don't don't you know build wealth, right? Because that's tacky or people won't like you, right? And then it's actually proven, right? It's like okay, I've built wealth cool. I got through all of that. And it's like, Oh, well, I'm still being told I'm being judged and shamed, even if I don't have money and I'm trying, and then I'm being judged and shamed if I, if I'm doing well. Right. And so it's like this horrible, like you can't win kind of side effect of that. And this is not something I've discussed publicly, but, um, I mean, back in the, the, the times where I was, you know, getting closer to my hundred K, I was very upfront about like what my net worth was. About, like, you know what what my savings rate was, how much I had saved. And I would love to be transparent with that number now, because I've worked my ass off. I have built a lot in terms of our, our business earnings, in terms of my my own savings and my own investments. And I don't feel like I can publicly talk about it, because not only are people going to feel entitled to then tell me what I should do with that money, uniquely as a woman, But in addition, my safety comes into question in a way that it doesn't for men. My safety, the security of literally my physical safety and the safety of those people that are important to me. And so I think that 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 is a huge double standard that I see in my own work. Like I am the most transparent person about money and yet I'm forced with something that I should be so proud of and able to acknowledge publicly, I don't feel like I can because of the way society views, views women who have money and as well, the way that we treat literally people and their physical safety around money or around wealth building. Well, there are people out
0: there are are crazy. Like people are crazy. It's like, it's like, like taking a step back with the whole digital nomad thing. Like you're traveling to France. It's like, I I went to Colombia for six months and I was telling some of my, my, my girlfriends this, and they were like, Oh my God, I would love to go there, but like, I could never. And I'm like, Right. Well, what do you mean? And then they completely brought it up to me. Like, like you as a guy, you don't understand that it's completely true. Like I felt completely right. safe out there, but I could foresee, I mean, people are just are scared and you got to really double take yourself if you can't defend yourself or if you're looked at in that sense. So I, I get what you're saying. I, I mean,
1: and that's, that's just what I mean in general. It's like society does not like women who have money. And unfortunately we all have just like, we all have internalized racism, right? We all have internalized misogyny all of us, even women, right? We have turtleized misogyny. And so we, and like your point of like, we do a lot of projecting, right? On our own insecurities, we project them onto other people, right? And we have an issue with other people because we really have an issue with ourselves. But I'll take that one step further where it's literally because we've grown up in a patriarchal, racist, ableist society, right? We have these certain perspectives uh, towards other groups of people, right? That are, often not very kind and not very, uh, not very inclusive, right? And I think that money is the perfect example of that, of just how that manifests in, in our thinking, our perspectives and our own insecurities. Um, Because again, we've grown up in a society that has actively told us don't talk about money don't talk about it. It's not polite to talk about it.
0: Well, well, it's also interesting that once you get financial success, right? I always, I think I say it in every podcast, so sorry for everyone. I apologize, but <laughs> Naval Ravjikan, he said, you need to get rich because then you need to find out that it's not the answer to happiness, right? Like you need to get hmm. money before you can realize like, yo, like there's some more deep work here. So I think the the word- I will
1: wholeheartedly disagree with that actually, because it's the same narrative that money doesn't buy you happiness. I, I agree with the sentiment, right? Which is really that if you're trying to seek out maternal or, you know, uh, physical things to, to make your life better, right? Materialistic things, that's not going to do it, right? This sense of love, the sense of belonging that we all need as people, a Maserati is not going to do that for for you. But telling somebody who cannot uh, put food on their table consistently, telling somebody who, you know, if they had one more bedroom in their apartment right that money can't buy you happiness but that's right? the that second part to the equation thing.
0: but that's the second part of the whole thing he's saying is that you what can't you say that to someone who needs to pay rent for the month who has three children like mm. you can't tell someone that needs money that money doesn't buy happiness when someone needs sure it. you know so what tell I'm me the
1: quote again maybe i misunderstood
0: so what was the you, quote you need to then get wealthy and like have success and have financial success before you can realize that that's not where happiness comes from. Right. Cause once mm. you get past all of that stuff, you can pay your bills, you have a house, you have a car, you have the necessities, you have friends, right.
1: the stability, and you're, the, you're yeah. alone
0: with you and your thoughts. And the question is, mm. is, are you happy? Right. I get you, but you need I get to you. get there. And like, you're not, it's like Dave Chappelle is a funny quote. Like you ain't going like, You can't tell a broke person that money doesn't buy happiness, right? Right, (laughs) right,
1: right, right. So I misunderstood, and I'm sorry. But yeah, for me, I I would agree with that. I think it is unfortunately no 95 probably 98 percent of people are never going to get to that point, right? And they're never going to get to the point where they can they have all of their needs met to the point where money is not a worry or an anxiety for them anymore. And then right, and that's part of the what I'm trying to change. Right, is not just how do we get individuals there, but how do we get a society in place? How do we get a systems in place that better support people so they can get to that? You know, there's so many statistics that people believe they're going to be millionaires. And in, in reality, very few people actually are. Um, Let's talk,
0: let's talk about this a little bit more. Cause one thing I love bringing up with my friends is just interest rate calculators or compound interest rate calculators. It's so yeah. fun. If everyone's just hanging out right now, go on your phone and just look up compound interest calculator. And yeah. just type in, there's a simple formula. How much money do you have in your bank now? And if you take a 7 to 10% annualized interest rate, which is the typical returns of stocks, and let's just say you put 7% and you continue to invest, let's say 10,000 annually, and you compound that, you're seeing numbers in like the 400Ks and people go, what?
1: And I want to be clear, compound interest works, whether you put $10,000 into your account or $10, like, and I get that thing. A lot of people are like, you know, I'll do that. Right. I'll tell people, okay, $5,000 in 30 years is this amount of money. And people are like, well, I don't have $5,000. Okay. Do $2,000. Don't have $2,000 do 500. Don't have 500 Do a hundred. Right. Even if you can only do a certain amount of money one time for a while, it is more important. And I tell this to everybody, time is more important than the amount of money. And I'm literally building an investment community and education platform right now that's launching later this summer because I think so many people miss that. Time is more important than the amount of money. Everybody says, okay, I need to be rich to start investing. No, that's how you get rich. Okay, but I can wait. Really, you can't, you shouldn't because my 100K, my original 100K at 25, if I never contributed another penny to that 100K, at retirement, I would have 1.6 million that 100k would turn into 1.6 million even if i never lifted another finger because of compound interest right so starting early even if it's just with a small amount of money it's going to be way more beneficial than waiting 2 years 5 years 10 years with double the amount of money right so true and then again it's just so important that you just start i see from women all the time this like analysis paralysis of like oh my God, the stock market seems really in- intimidating. And honestly, like they haven't made it easy to figure out, but like, it seems super intimidating. I don't know how to get started. So I'm just not going to do it. Or like, I'm going to get caught up in like, what brokerage should I pick? Should I pick <laughs> yeah. Acorns or should I pick Elevate? Should I pick Robinhood? Should I pick M1 Finance, right? It's just like, I need you to get started. Like, I just need you to get started. I am literally a globally recognized financial expert. There is so many things about the stock market that I am learning all the time, all the time. It's right. just important that you get started.
0: Amen. And that's the, the truest power ever. It's, it's so simple. And it, I think a big thing too is, is talks about a lot of super successful multimillionaires. They always talk about the importance of giving and taking 10% of your wealth and giving it to charities and all these things, right? But you have to get into that habit when you're broke, right? Because giving away $10 of every hundred is much easier than giving away ten thousand for a hundred thousand or a hundred thousand for a million. It's these little habits that over time compound. And the second thing that's interesting is the societal way of wanting to look fancy and cool and sexy. And you know, I'm very grateful and lucky. I got started in direct sales company when I was younger, had quick success, got like a BMW was rolling around. You know, like doing what I was doing. In reality, that lesson was such a big lesson. You know, I lost it all, was looking like an idiot that experience taught me so much about real happiness in people. It's like, I'd rather have money than just look like I have money. And when people feel that, and they actually have a bank account that is growing and developing, and they know they have that it's the most empowering feeling. I always compare looking at my bank account, like my, my, uh, report card. Remember that feeling when you're like looking at your mm-hmm. report card when you're younger and it's like so scary. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, or if you're in college and you're spending 400,000 and you're not getting good grades. Yeah. It's intimidating. You're letting yourself down, your parents and everything down. But I think that stigma needs to be lifted where you aren't happy to look at your bank statements. You're happy to look at your interest rate and your calculations and your assets. Cause over time that gives you a serotonin boost because you are on the right direction. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. I literally have an episode of the podcast. Uh, it's episode 11. We talk about this financial self-care practice and that's what we talk about. We, we have people do a money date and I guide you through it in the podcast, but literally dedicating an amount of time to sit down and just look at your money. And just like any other part of self-care, like it's super uncomfortable when you first get started. right? And I like to say that self-care is the hard shit. Self-care is the shit you don't want to do. Self-care is going to therapy and having a hard conversation with a friend and working out when you don't want to work out and eat a salad when you don't want to fucking eat a salad, right? It's the same thing with looking at your money, right? And it's going to become a habit. It's going to become more comfortable as you get going. And you also can't see progress if you don't look. Right. So if you set a goal, but then you never look at your money again, it's going to be very hard to impossible to continue towards that goal. If you don't see the progress you are making. So Mm. that's part of, we call it the ostrich effect in the personal finance community, which is people bury their head in the sand and they act like their problems don't exist. Right. They don't check their bank account statements. They don't check their student loan balance because it's too scary. And I totally get it, but like, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Like if that means putting yourself in a down comforter cocoon and getting yourself a glass bottle of wine and like looking at your money, like that's what you got to do.
0: Right. (laughs) Get uncomfortable being uncomfortable. The ostrich effect. That's fantastic. I'm picturing an ostrich throwing his head in the dirt and he just doesn't want to look. He doesn't want to see. It's easy to just hide our problems. And because of credit cards, that's the thing that frustrates me a lot. Because I love yeah. this topic and a big reason I wanted to reach out to you in the first place is just I, I know your detailed analysis of all this stuff. with credit cards, it's not the same when I go pay rent in cash than when I pay with a card. When you don't see money coming and going because of auto pays, you quickly can fall into a trap. And it's like, if people just use credit cards correctly, then they could have unlimited points. They can travel wherever they want. If they just paid off yep. their credit cards effectively and efficiently there are huge assets, but people that allow themselves to get into credit card debt and have that bad debt weighing them down. It's a, it's a, it's a tough topic because if people need to learn it.
1: Well, and I'll take it one step further. And this might be a stat that you, you were not aware of. I wasn't aware until a couple months ago. So, um, we talk again, this is like larger choices or personal choices versus these, these larger systems. Right. So a lot of the, like, don't overspend on credit cards, like conversation gets focused on an individual level. But when they did studies around why women go in debt, the majority of women go into debt because no one explained to them how a the loan works. And that's not because women are stupid, the very the exact opposite, but no one has taught them what that means to put money on a credit card or to put purchases on a credit card, right? Or to take out a student loan. Women hold two thirds of the student debt in the United States. And it's been proven that that number is so high Because no one's guided them through, okay, here's what it means to take out a $40,000 loan and here's what it's going to cost you in interest over X amount of years, right? No one's explained that to them. And so I have all of these stories of women, girls going into Victoria's Secret when they're 17 and Victoria's Secret employees literally telling them, hey, sign up for our store rewards card. Oh, you get 10% off. They're 17. They don't know that this is a credit card, right? They don't know that they're going to get their credit checked. And so when I talk to them, they're 27, it's 10 years later, and they're still either paying off their debt that they didn't know they had accumulated, or their credit score is completely tanked because not only did they make this choice, they didn't know any better. Mm. And you have predatory companies who know they don't know better. Sally Mae, Victoria's Secret. You have all of these companies who know that their demographic don't know any better and that's how they're making money. So yes, it's individual choices, 100%. Plenty of people knowingly went into credit card debt, right? And didn't have to. It wasn't like an emergency situation, right? Plenty of people have done that. I think in addition, plenty of people go into debt because of that lack of education, that lack of understanding and the lack of the communities where people can go and be like, hi, I think this is a stupid question, but like, tell me how a loan works, right? right? Because we don't have a lot of those communities either, which is and why her first 100K exists. So,
0: amen. Yeah. I, I, I never really thought about that. It's like every store you go to today, they just shove their own personal store credit card in your face. and like, oh girl, well, you want 20% off, get this credit card. And you're just like, uh, I'd be an idiot not to get this credit card because it's so easy. And next thing, you know, they don't even know how to pay off the credit card. They don't know where to go to pay it. off. Sometimes
1: they don't even know it's a credit card. Sometimes they don't even know it's a credit card, right? If you're 17, you don't understand that they're asking for your social security number to check your credit, right. Or to like sign you up for a credit card. You don't know, you don't know any better. Right. And so I think that that's again, why this, this financial piece is so nuanced is it's not just personal choices. Again, I've, you could take, this could be a drinking game and take a shot every time I said something like this, but Starting it's not just now. personal choices. It's just, it's this. It's the larger systemic issues at play here as well. The lack of education, the lack of environments to ask questions. Um, the way, again, we treat, we treat women who have money or women who are looking to gain financial knowledge versus the way we treat men. I mean, it's all of it. It's all entrenched together.
0: It's interesting. It's interesting that you've found a way to pull it all together, address these issues. But at the same time, you didn't come back from the background. You you just do your own research. You go down these rabbit holes and then you start seeing real stories helping people. Has there been a story particularly? And I know like you got bajillion stories, right? But so, anyone that's successful building online courses and communities, stories sell, baby. It's stories tell, right? If people see a great story they relate to, they're like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it. But has there been any like particular situations that just Kind of maybe early on in your career mm-hmm. that you heard that just really struck a chord with you?
1: I used to say um, that we would get messages every day from women that our work was changing their lives. Um, and then I used to say every hour, now it's every 10 minutes. Um, my favorite I mean, I've, we've gotten, I was able to leave my abusive partner because I have an emergency fund and I have my own money and I'm able to leave. Um, I was able to negotiate $25,000 more. For my next job. I, I have actually, a lot of my clients have turned into friends. I have a friend who lives in Seattle. We got her, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember. It was a couple years ago, $50,000 more in her next job. Um, yeah, I quit my job and I'm able to run my business full-time. I um, got out of debt. I paid off all my student debt. You know, I could send, I could send my kids to summer camp and not worry about how I was going to pay for it. Like, the stories we get are just amazing. My favorite though, are when women realize that this is so much bigger than just money. Like we were talking about earlier, that it's not just you being able to pay off your debt or being able to invest. It's, it's the realization that, oh, now that I have money, my entire life has opened up to me. And for me personally, like I can see this in my own life. I don't put up with any bullshit anymore. I don't put up with bullshit from a client. I don't put up with bullshit from men I'm dating. I don't put up with bullshit at all because I don't have to. Financially, I don't have to. I don't have to find a partner in order for them to support me financially that is not that's not part of it and if you go on a date with me and you're intimidated that is your problem
0: what are your thoughts your then like given that your opinion and just societal norms of how mm-hmm. typical dates go today like how how <laughs> how do you think what do you think it should be should it be 50/50 like in terms of paying a check imagine you just go on oh, first date oh we went like, on a
1: hard pivot um yeah. I, I think that's a personal choice. I 100% think that's a personal choice. I'm not coming in. Just like I get asked a lot, like, okay, I'm getting married. Like, should we combine our finances? I don't know. That's a personal choice. I think you should always have your own separate money. I 100% believe that. Even if it's just three months, you should always have your own separate money. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me... Yeah, I don't like know if that just, was like
0: a hard pivot too. It was, but it was a, it was I, a little I would, bit
1: of a hard pivot. But yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it depends on the individual. It depends on the couple. It depends on like especially when you're first getting to know somebody. Sometimes those conversations can be a little hard. Right. Like I find a typical, at least for me, it's like oh, one of us pays for dinner, and then if we like go to drinks before or like ice cream after, like the other person will pay for that, right. and then maybe the flip happens on the next date, right? Like that's pretty standard for me personally. But Um,
0: the big, the big theme though, is that by both parties having money, it makes sure that people are there for the right reasons, which is, you know, enjoying each other's time, happiness, right? Like,
1: well, and for me, more of what I was talking to about my experience and my journey was more like, again, with you asked about like the impact our work has had on women is the, is the realization that like, you don't have to stay in toxic situations that you don't want to be in anymore. So if a client starts, you know being really difficult to communicate with, or, you know, doesn't treat us really well, or my team really well, there is no client that I'm not willing to fire. Right. Cause we have, we have other sources of income. We have other ways to make sure that I can make payroll for my employees. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, it's the same thing. Like I said, with my personal life of, you know, I am not dating in order to find somebody, um, who, I need uh, to either teach me about money, or to manage money, or to make money for us. I'm good. I want I want to walk into a relationship and and you know not have to worry about that for me. Right. And it's just in general, like I just walk down the street more confident. I just I just it's so cool that I can pack up all my stuff and fly to Europe on my own dime and run my business from a Airbnb in Tuscany. With probably a glass of wine in my hand, and you know, pay for a dinner and b- buy my best friend dinner without even thinking about it, and donate. I literally like submitted this huge donation a couple of days ago to a charity that I love, and I didn't even think twice about it. Didn't have to check my bank account even. I was like, "Cool, I know that this this I know this is gonna clear." Like, let's do it.
0: That's amazing. Like, I didn't
1: have to think about it. Congratulations,
0: so think, um, you you did it. Thank you. Yeah. That's thank awesome. you, but
1: like this is the feeling I want for every single fucking woman, right? That's the feeling I want. The feeling of. Yeah, independence—not like fuck everybody, but like just knowing, like you have.
0: Well, you probably ability. get this a lot. Like, oh well, listen, Tori, look at you—you you can do it because you're so well-spoken, and and you like I'm too shy, or I'm too this. Like I, I'm not you. How can I do it? Like, what do you say? To I those often women?
1: get actually. Um, you're a white woman. You have a ton of privilege, which hundred percent valid. And I actually just talked about this a couple of days ago on an Instagram live. Like that again, again. Take it, take a drink, take a shot. This is why we can't just talk about choices. Because yes, I worked really, really hard. I'm also a cisgendered middle class white woman. Like I had a bunch of privilege. I had a bunch of privilege to get me to where I'm at. Did I work my ass off? A hundred percent. But I didn't have to start at home base in order to run all the way around the bases. I started at like first base or second base. Mm -hmm. So yes, this is why I'm saying like I want every woman to have this feeling. I want every woman to have a financial foundation of financial independence. And it's unfortunately, it's going to make me cry. It is unfortunately her, her personal choices are not going to be enough. And that's why it's so hard is her, she can work super hard. She can work, you know, and save millions and millions of dollars. But at the end of the day, these systems are still going to actively repress, repress her. And for me as a white woman, I have certain systems that I'm facing that other, other people are not. And certain things that are to my advantage, unfortunately, that other people don't have the advantages I do. So I think that, again, this is why it's so important that yes, your personal choices are hugely impactful to your life, to your wealth building. We also have to talk about these larger issues.
0: Well said. It was beautiful. I I, I always love asking this question when uh, uh, to there's only one thing I ever asked that's standard because it's just so like, and it's if you could go back in time, right? Like, OG Tory, like going into maybe just finished high school and you could have talked to that girl who you are now and who you <laughs> were before. And you could have said, like, listen, girl, like I got one, two or three things I got to tell you right now. You better listen up. And it can't be I wouldn't have said anything because it made me who I am, even though it's a fantastic answer. What are some of those things that you might have told yourself? <laughs>
1: Number one, that man you're gonna meet when you're 20, don't stay with him for three years. Don't do <laughs> it. That's the first thing. Um, want better for yourself. Want better for yourself. Um, that's, that's the first thing. Second thing um, is everything you know about yourself is true. And people will come, ooh, this is like a Barbara Walters question. It's like, ooh, I'm gonna make, make my guests cry. Um, I have known I was powerful from a very young age. I struggle with a lot of things. I struggle with a lot of different different aspects and you know, working on it. One thing I've never struggled with is my self-worth, ever. I have 100% thought myself worthy of love, worthy of opportunities. And I knew that very, very young. I knew the kind of person I wanted to be and the kind of life I wanted to lead. But then what happened was, Society didn't, society didn't get it. Society didn't understand. And so I either had to constantly prove my worth or constantly question it. And um, I would reaffirm her. I would reaffirm that she knows exactly who she is and exactly what she wants. And yes, she will change and she will grow and she will have really shitty things happen to her. And she will have really beautiful, joyful things happen to her. But ultimately, she knows exactly who she is already. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to end it there. That's a great message. That's a mic drop. That's everything. Tori, I appreciate you. I I wish I had more time with you. And I'm sure everyone (laughs) who talks to you thinks the same thing. You're just a light. You keep it real. You're out here inspiring. You're making money with a purpose, which is amazing. You're helping people do it along the way. You're sharing in the journey. You have a career that uh it essentially gives you residual happiness not just residual money mm. and i think more people need to focus on things that allow that they need to set up their life not just their bank account and you found a way to do both of that and that's that's incredible so i'm excited for your trip to france you won't crush it hopefully Thank they you. they're cool with like the travel restrictions and all that we'll, we shall see but right, uh how, how can everyone continue to follow the journey where do they go um give, give them the direct
1: yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So I am at her first 100K on all the socials, H E R F I R S T 100K. Uh, Instagram and TikTok are our two big platforms. So come say hi there. And we just launched our podcast, the first season of Financial Feminist in May. And within 72 hours, we were the number one business podcast uh, on Apple and worldwide. So crushing. Uh, it we dethroned Dave Ramsey. And that was like, that was the like pinch me moment to end all pinch me moments. So, um, yeah, season one is out. You can binge the whole thing. And we are hard at work at season two coming out uh, next year.
0: Amazing. Well, I appreciate you till next time and, uh, we'll get it going.
1: Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode. Remember hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves till next time.
0: Peace.